Well, we've been thinking together through these weeks about the way our lives can take a detour. Most of us can look back at a time in our life and say, well, there's where I left my regularly scheduled life, and I took a detour, and, and God brought me through it, and I see now that God did something healing with that time for me. But what if your whole life is a detour? What if your plan was totally scrapped a long time ago? What if your detour has gone on for years? What if you're beyond plan B and into plan X, Y, or Z? What if you really, really don't see what God is doing with your detour at all? We're going to look today at Joseph way back in the book of Genesis. Joseph, whose whole life was a detour. Let's look first at where he started Joseph is one son in a family of 12 brothers, born to the patriarch Jacob and his favorite wife, Rachel. We meet him in Genesis 37. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the others, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. In these few verses, we learn a lot about Joseph. He's a teenager. He's not a team player. And he is a tattletale. He's the superstar of the family, at least in his own mind, and in his father's mind, too. His father, Jacob, singles him out and gives him a special gift, that coat that we've described as being of many colors. But his brothers hate his privileged little self, and they don't have a kind word to say about him. And that was before this happened. Once Joseph had a dream... And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, and then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. Now that was a dream he maybe should have kept to himself. Older sons bowing down to a younger son upsets the order of things as they ought to be, they think. It doesn't seem possible for them to hate him more, but now they do. Remember that bowing down, by the way. So Joseph is all set to be the biggest deal in this family. The dreams say so. Maybe he'll sit at his father's right hand and learn from him how to be the next patriarch. He's dressed for success. He's going to tell tales about his brothers and ride the rising tide to be their boss. But that's not what happens. His life takes a big detour. In fact, his life totally falls off the map. Joseph's brothers saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. 
Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead on their way to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. So they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. So Joseph is sold by his own brothers into slavery. He's taken by force to faraway Egypt and sold there to a stranger. Joseph is like one of the kids whose stories we see in the International Justice Mission videos. He was trafficked by his own brothers. This is a really serious detour with no easy out. And we might have lost sight of him if he had just given up on his life in slavery. But listen. He does not. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master and from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with him no matter where he is, whether he's a favorite son, safe at home, or a slave. The Lord has a purpose for him still. He prospers the work of his hands. Joseph must have resolved to keep on being a dreamer, a gifted man of faith and character. It must have been a temptation just to give up, to stop believing that God had a plan for his life and his gifts. But he uses the time on the detour to show his quality. That's the thing. He keeps showing his quality even though he has no idea what God's plan is. That's what we call faith. The problem is there are others with less than noble characters in Potiphar's house. The boss's wife is a shady person with designs on Joseph and she tries to make use of him and deceive her husband, but Joseph will not do that. He sees his work as being part of his faith and to violate that, his master's trust, his God's love for him is not something he will do. So not only does he lose his job, but because of the lies that Potiphar's wife tell about him, he goes to prison. What a detour this is turning out to be. But the strangest thing happens there. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison, and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. 
Joseph is a prisoner, but he keeps rising to the top. He keeps exhibiting the good character and faithfulness he always has. God's hand is on his life. And pretty soon, strangely enough, there is a call for his rare gift of interpreting dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams of two courtiers who have been kicked downstairs out of the palace into the dungeon. And one day, when he regains his palace job, he remembers Joseph's gift. It just so happens that Pharaoh has a strange and disturbing dream. The courtier at his side remembers Joseph and his gift with dreams. They bring him up from the dungeon. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one here who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not I. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph listens to the dreams and he says that Pharaoh has gotten a message from God that there will be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. Joseph recommends an excellent plan that in the seven years of plenty they save up the grain to be stored and feed the people during the famine that will follow. Joseph doesn't know that this is suddenly turning into a job interview, but he just does his best as he always does. Pharaoh says, can we find anyone like this, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Since God has shown you all this, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. So removing the signet ring from his hand, Pharaoh puts it on Joseph's hand. He arrays him in fine garments. He puts a gold chain around his neck. He has him ride in the chariot of his second in command, and they cried out in front of him, bow the knee. You caught that, didn't you? People have begun to bow down before Joseph. Joseph, the dreamer, the slave, and the prisoner. A turn in the detour is beginning. And events roll out just as Joseph said they would to Pharaoh. There is a famine. Scripture says, moreover, all the world came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine became severe in all the world. And one day, as Joseph oversees the sale of the grain to hungry foreigners, he sees his brothers. Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers, and he spoke harshly to them. This is the dream come true. He sees them on their knees to him, hungry and needy, and the feeling that first rises in him is not love. He remembers what they did to him. He's filled with anger. He has them finally, and then he manipulates them. He eavesdrops on their conversations about their poor old father grieving over his supposed death. He hears about his full-blooded brother, Benjamin, he listens to their shame and guilt over selling him out of the family. He plots to get his brother, Benjamin, there. He plants evidence on them. He doesn't behave very nobly. We followed him and seen his character through all of his falls and the long detour, and we've not seen him like this before. If he had wanted to kill his brothers, he had them in his hand, and no one would have stopped him. He was too powerful. Joseph could have finished his detour with revenge. 
The end of the story is hanging by a thread. And then his brothers, famished and worried, return for more grain, and they bring Benjamin as they promised. We still don't know which way Joseph will go. When Joseph came home, the brothers bowed to the ground before him. He inquired about their welfare and said, is, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads, and they did obeisance. Then he looked up, and he saw Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, is, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And with that, Joseph hurried out because he was overcome with affection for his brother and he was about to weep. So he went into a private room and he wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and controlling himself, he said, serve the meal. Joseph's dream is coming true and he's overwhelmed with not revenge, but love. Character wins. At last, the crowning moment of his life comes when he suddenly sees what the detour has all been about and what God was doing with his life. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it wasn't you who sent me here. It was God. The detour is at an end. Suddenly he sees what it's all been for. God has taken the broken and cruel detour of his life to make a new future possible for so many, including his own family. What do we learn from Joseph's detour? We learn that God being with Joseph doesn't save him from suffering or the pain of the detour, but he has God's help in every step he takes. We learn that the future is in God's hands and that his ways are mysterious and resist our understanding until we get far enough into the detour to look back at all of it and see the journey in light of the journey's end. I want to say that I believe some people's flash of insight comes in the Father's house. We learn that Joseph had years of detour and did not understand where he was going or what he was doing, but he stayed faithful and true. He did his best no matter where he was. He would have been found doing his best even if he had never seen the end of the detour. I think we can see what kind of man the detour made of him. He started out a cocky and privileged kid, but the detour made of him one who knew what it was to be a slave and a prisoner, used, abused, hungry, lied about, confined, and discounted. 
When a time came for him to feed the starving people of his area, he did that. And not only Egyptians, but starving Israelites as well. If he had become cruel on the detour, his brothers would never have gotten close enough to his power center in Egypt for him to forgive. They would have been turned away, hungry at the border. But because of Joseph's character and God's work with him, he was a provider, he was merciful when it counted, and when he was on the knife's edge with his brothers, he fell to the right side. He wept and embraced them. In the power of his rule, he acts to make a good future possible for Egypt, for its neighbors, for his family. The detour refined his quality. We learn that it is possible to make a detour that God is using come to a dead end. Joseph had several turning points where he could have given up. He could have been nothing more than a slave and a prisoner. He could have wiped out his brothers. So these long detours require a person to keep acting in good faith even in the dark times. It's very hard work to be a person on a lifelong detour. The kind of hard, dark detour that Joseph walked reminded me of the characters in The Lord of the Rings. It's a story with lots of characters who have a job to do that seems impossible, enemies that seem numerous and unbeatable, and fear that is overwhelming. But even the smallest of them keeps doing their best day after day. Frodo is the smallest one with the heaviest burden and the longest detour. Here we see Gandalf and Frodo thinking about how to keep going. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring. In which case, you also were meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. There is one watching in love who is guiding the journey. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. There are times in life deep into a detour that we put one foot in front of another, not knowing how it is all going to turn out, but believing in the God who does know and who is with us. All things work together for good for those who love him. Now, what does all of this have to do with our nation, with our celebration of it this July 4th weekend? David Brooks, an op-ed columnist for the New York Times, wrote a piece in March called The Unifying American Story. Rich used it as a devotional piece in a session meeting recently. David Brooks says that we are floundering as a nation because we've lost our sense of who we are and where we're going. We've lost the narrative that gave an overarching meaning to our national life. He says our founding story was the biblical story of the Exodus, the story right after Joseph's story. 
In that story, God heard the oppressed and enslaved Israelites in Egypt, their struggle against tyranny, and he raised up Moses to lead them. As the story unfolds, they flee oppression and undertake a harrowing journey together, led by God. They receive a new law from God to live by. They reach at long last a promised land. Brooks says that many generations of Americans have taken this Exodus story as their own as they formed our nation. This national story encouraged the Puritans, the founding fathers, the emancipationists, many waves of immigrants, and finally the civil rights movement. He says that this story has welcomed and organized and oriented each new group of Americans that it emphasizes the moral character of America and the importance of all people's effort as we pull together to make this land. The story tells us that our history is in God's hands, but that it has an upward spiral. And Brooks says sadly that we have stopped believing in that story that has formed us. But you and I know that story. We know the one who gave us that story. We know the God of Joseph and Moses. We know that somehow, some way, our national story has to align with God's story. God's story tells us that he will make use of every detour for the benefit of all. God's story tells us that character and self-control are important as his people journey into the future. God's story tells us that though we may not see the point of the detour or the end of the journey, that God does. And we do our best and we keep the faith. God's story tells us that freedom, feeding the hungry, forgiveness are important to him. God's story tells us the, that the idea of a promised land is still important and powerful in this world. When I was at Princeton Seminary, one of my favorite things was meeting Christians studying there from all over the world. One of my friends there was a man named Bishop Paulos, an Ethiopian Orthodox Christian in exile from Ethiopia because communists had taken over his nation and had imprisoned him, persecuted, tortured him. And then at Princeton's request, they had released him to Princeton. He was a kind and peaceful man who bore the scars of his imprisonment and torture on his body. There he is. Chuck said he was pretty jealous of that bling around his neck. Bishop Paulus invited my husband and I to a celebration in a basement church for other exiles in New York City. There were cookies and punch and a spoken word poetry competition. Young men from his country would get up and improvise a long spoken poem on some topic in their own language. Hal and I ate cookies and listened politely. At one point, one poet had the crowd really talking back and then standing up, then clapping and cheering and crying. I asked the bishop what his poem was about. He said, that boy told about the violence and danger at home in Ethiopia and the journey here, his struggle to find a home and safety here, the joy of finding other exiles here. He said that when he fled his homeland, he thought of his journey here as a journey to the promised land.
That's why they were cheering. I think those people in that basement church of exiles know something true about the way God has used our nation in the past. And I hope we find a way to keep hold of that part of our story because it is God's story. As we celebrate this weekend, we think of our past. We think of our own story as a nation. We're still in progress. What kind of nation is God making us? What purposes is he accomplishing with us? What does he intend to do with us in the world? The arc of scripture tells us something about God's purposes in the world, to free the oppressed, to defend the poor and hungry and voiceless, to call us to personal, national, and international righteousness, justice, and responsibility for each other. God's story highlights lone champions who come forward at great personal sacrifice, like Joseph, like Moses, to lead a people. God used prisoners and slaves to lead his people. That is God's kind of story. But are we on the same page? God's story talks about the community of faith as a lamp on a stand that all can see, a shining city on a hill. God lifts up nations not because they are so perfect, but because he has a purpose for them, as I believe he has a purpose for us. We are lifted up not because we are so good, not for our glory or profit, but because God is so good that he wants to draw all people to himself. Because we are lifted up, we draw the world's scrutiny and we point to God. There's a time in the music Hamilton where our founding father, George Washington, at last gives a battle command to Alexander Hamilton. He gives him a sword and a last word of advice. He says, I was younger than you are now when I was given my first command. I led my men straight into a massacre. I witnessed their deaths firsthand. I made every mistake and I felt the shame rise in me. And even now I lie awake knowing history has its eyes on me. Let me tell you what I wish I'd known, he says, when I was young and dreamed of glory. You have no control who lives, who dies, who tells your story. I know that we can win. I know that greatness lies in you. But remember, from here on in, history has its eyes on you. They salute each other. And Hamilton goes out to the Battle of Yorktown and a decisive American victory but he remembers and then he forgets that history still has its eyes on him. He makes a sinful personal decision. He falls from grace with disastrous effects. On this July 4th weekend, we celebrate those founding fathers who remembered that history had its eyes on them as they drafted our Declaration of Independence. We too must remember as we express our opinions, as we vote and choose and speak and work in our country, that history still has its eyes on us. But more important than that is that our God still has his eyes on us. He wants to do his work through us. He is watching over our detours, personal and national, and he can make something good of even the longest and most troubling detour.
God can make of one person or one nation a stirring leader in hungry and hurtful times. God can change the hardest heart and bring grace and forgiveness to the most broken and fragmented family and nation. Even in you and I, God has a story. We are a part of it. If we will let him have control of our detours because the God of history has his eyes on us and his gracious hand on us to show us the way. Let's pray now. Oh Lord, we thank you for your sovereign power and history, for your hand on our lives, for using the detours and not wasting any part of our years and our sorrows. We thank you for seeing leadership in us and for lifting our stories to your purpose and to your glory. Lord, we trust you with our days and our years and our nation. We pray these things as we remember that from you and to you and through you are all things. To your name be glory. Amen.